Hi folks, I'm Alan Walton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 1st of August, 2012. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you make good use, and I mean good use, of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and you'll begin to understand the system you're born into. You'll find out how, why you even behave the way you do, because your culture is given to you, and generation by generation. And you'll find out the big boys who set up this system a long time ago, a system where science would really control your minds, control your behavior, and make you think you're free at the same time. Uh, and, of course, the boys behind it who funded it all were a clique living in London who came up with free trade idea for the world where they would take over all of the industries of the world. They'd move them around the world. They'd uh, also take over the resources of the planet, all resources, and uh, they'd bring in their scientifically created society for, to suit themselves, you see, because they truly believe in Darwinian ideas that, and eugenics that, um, that the elite should go on down through time and that everything in the world is finite, so it's, it supplies, its resources. And therefore, as we go through this big leap forward, uh, the ones at the bottom, post-industrial society, etc., they didn't have jobs, couldn't find good work would simply die off through time. Mind you, they help you die off as well with lots of inoculations and poisoned food and, uh, and many other things to, to boot. So you're living through a planned society uh, by uh, people who bring you world wars. In fact, they give you World War One and Two because even Quigley, who was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations branch, the American branch of this Royal Institute of International Affairs, talks about that. He says that uh, these are the people who bring you wars and the idea of wars apart from plundering the countries, of course, for, for their own businesses, and these are the same boys who own these institutions, um, is also to alter society. Society is altered massively quickly uh, during wartime. It's quickly said you can get more done during war, uh, five years of war, than 50 years of peace and propaganda. So war is always used, and that's why they're using a war on terror that's going to go on forever, you see, as you go through the massive changes into the utopia for the few, as the rest of us who will become sterile, die off, and die off rather quickly as the cancers are increasing like crazy. So help yourself to the, to the website. Remember too, they all carry audios, they all carry transcripts in English for a print-up, and you can go into Alan Watts Sentinel for print-ups in other languages. Remember too, you are the audience that bring me to you, and you can keep, keep me going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, because I don't bring on advertisers as guests, and I don't um, have shares, and I don't sell anything, any products uh, that make you live forever and ever. Uh, so therefore, I, the books and discs are all I uh, get to live on, basically. So you can purchase from the U.S. by using personal checks or international postal money orders from your post office. Use PayPal, send cash. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And straight donations are really awfully welcome. Or I'll have to bring on stacks of advertisers who will enthrall you with scary stories for an hour. In the last 10 minutes, they'll sell their products because that's how it generally goes. 
Now, the world you're living in, as I say, has been planned. This whole system, the direction of it has been planned for well over a 100 years. In fact, Britain brought in free trade for their own colonies in the 1840s. And the group that came out of that eventually called themselves the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They wanted wars, world wars. They got them. And they hoped the public would be on their knees after the wars, give up sovereignty, and become part of the United Nations. For the World War I, it was the League of Nations they set up, and the same group set up the United Nations uh, during World War II. So the people weren't too happy with that, so it didn't go too well. So they thought they'd take the long road, the Fabian technique. And, of course, they, they run the Fabian Society as well. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and it really is a matrix, there's many levels to it too because you've had intense indoctrination since you were born and some of it comes from your parents too because they accept the world as it's presented to them as well their indoctrination worked very well too and Beria during uh, the 1930s from the Soviet system he was the head of the chief of police and so on but he used to talk to the common turn that's where all the international uh, communists went over to, to Moscow every year and he said at that time that uh, it used to take a generation to alter the behaviour of society and he was meaning around 70 years or so he says now we can do it in 5 years this is in 1934 remember and he said that uh, through using certain techniques especially in school uh, that uh, they could prime the children's minds to take on new indoctrination much much quicker uh, that would even contradict their families values and but however their particular values taught in this by the state would prevail and he was very very right about that and he said this will eventually get faster and quicker and quicker as children are indoctrinated in uh, what we now call preschool or kindergarten well that's already happened you see Today, the children going into kindergarten are one year ahead with their indoctrinations from the ones previous to them and what they'll experience as they grow up and all the changes that will come. They're all planned to come because you're living through a script, you understand. Government is in the the process of total control, complete total control to serve itself, not to serve you. Government is out there, uh, they always give the, they always call themselves public servants, especially in the British Commonwealth countries, but they're no servants at all to the public, they're servants to the Queen of course, and the Queen stands for the fascist regime that's always been there. And all the corporations involved, so, you're well indoctrinated not to understand, to think that you understand what's going on, but you never really understand what's going on at all, because you've been indoctrinated, including your behaviour. I can remember watching one of the versions of Brave New World, and Brave New World, remember that was 1930s, 1934, I think that came out, or 33, uh, by Aldo Huxley, and he talked, uh, one of the scenes in the movie version, uh, the top alpha uh, guy who ran the system, 
um, said we, he was, he was asked about all the technology they were giving the general public, having a great old time. He says, oh yeah, he says, we only give them what we needed to give them. And so much of it is to monitor them as well. Well, that's what equipped technology has always been about, monitoring the general public. Not enemies overseas so much, but their own populations at home. Because the first uh, rule of government is to protect and maintain itself, you see, regardless of what the public want. So we're given lots of technology. The big boys, of course, sometimes sneak something through to the public through their own magazines like Foreign Affairs for the Council on Foreign Relations or maybe one of the journals through the the society or many other organizations which they belong that guide society or the big foundations as well and think tanks which are really just the fronts for to finance the armies and armies of non-governmental organizations. See, they have all sides controlled because they create them, you see. All sides are created by the same people. You must have conflict to get the changes going through. Otherwise, there'd be nothing to oppose, and things would stay the same way for a long time. So the, the dialectic is used, the Hegelian dialectic is used to create the planned change, with the thesis really uh, becoming the synthesis, etc., uh, and they, they get their, their end product out of it, their target, you might say, their plan, uh, was actually this, the synthesis of both of them. And then it starts all over again with the next part of their plan, and on and on and it goes. So you're already there, and for those who've been through your schooling and your teenagers, you're already programmed differently from your parents, and they were bad enough, because since the 50s, there was a massive escalation in speed to indoctrinate the populations generation by generation. And by that time in Britain, of course, they could do it every 20 years. You grow up, you have a child, 20 years later that child goes up and has his child, and so on and so on, and the culture industry... And school would indoctrinate you for what you were going to expect as you grew up and go through life. It's very, very simple. It's a perfect technique, and it's worked awfully well. Until we're all pretty well degenerate. Most folk are degenerate today, and they don't even know it's because everyone else is too. And when you're degenerate, you're dysfunctional, meaning you can't. Your, your survival capabilities have gone. You've got lots of fun, lots and lots of fun like never before. And you've been prompted to go out and just do it, as they say in marketing, in advertising, just do it. Marketing works by giving little slogans, and so does all propaganda, of course. Just do it. Without you supposed to question why you're doing it, or do you want to do it in the first place, whatever it happens to be. And it's like one of the slogans, too, it says, support our troops. It comes from marketing departments that work for the Pentagon. It doesn't tell you why to support the troops doesn't ask if the troops are doing the right thing in the first place or your, or your country is. Just tell you support our troops. That's how simple slogans work on you. Never, never backed up with an explanation, you see. But uh, it doesn't matter the public are so far gone today because a war has been waged on them for an awful long time and they don't even know it. They don't know it. They can't even sustain their populations. They're plummeting in all the first world countries because they've been prompted and, and, and uh, nudged, as they call it in neuroscience, uh, all their lives to just go and have fun, be perpetual children, regardless of their ages. But don't have children. Whatever you do, they'll tie you down. You know, that, that stops you having all this fun. Every day you'll see stuff in the papers, just screeds of it, with the fallout in society to do with this. But this, this isn't a, a, a talk about morality, because morality, you see, is flexible. 
It's plastic. Morality is what the, the governing elites give you at that particular time to suit themselves. There's a natural morality, of course, but you won't find it so much today because they're wiping out the primitive tribes in some countries and they're wiping out the last uh, of the, the cultures that still had it across the Middle East. They had simple rules, regulations. Everyone knew what they were and the society was deemed to, to last forever. Till now, that is. Anyway, as I say, they, they give you the technology to monitor you and give you fun at the same time. But it's so, it comes in so quick as well. And everyone's distracted with so many different things, like bread and circuses, like this London Olympics. That's all this is a big circus. Very expensive one, mind you. And a lot of folk are really stuck on it because what, do we go, what are they going to see next? I think it cost £40 million just to get the start of it going the first day, just for the show and glitter and all that stuff. But anyway... When this was going on, of course, you find things have already been snuck through. You don't have to make laws, you understand, when you've got private corporations working for government. You just simply go ahead and do something as policy. Insult a person on Twitter and you go to jail, this article says. A teenager insulted a public figure on Twitter when he got arrested. Why? Because in the UK it's a criminal offence to tweet messages that are considered menacing, offensive or indecent. Now just you think about that. Menacing, offensive, or indecent. Number, number one, pretty well everything on television is offensive, you could say, or indecent, because they brought the culture down. That's a tool they used for people to follow. Monkey see, monkey do. And menacing, menacing to whom? Define menacing, you see. Because a 70-year-old boy has been arrested over a string of malicious tweets he allegedly sent to the teenage driver Tom Daly over his failure to win an Olympic medal in a case that has raised fresh questions over the policing of comments on social media. The teenager who tweeted by the name of uh, Riley, uh, 69, was arrested at 2 a.m. yesterday and was being questioned by Dorset police after the young driver retweeted a comment suggesting that Daly had let down his late father, who died last year from brain cancer. The teenager was arrested under the Malicious Communications Act. It carries a maximum sentence of about six months in prison and a fine of up to £5,000 for a communication which conveys a message which is indecent or grossly offensive. Daly retweeted a message which said, You let your dad down, I hope you know that. And Daly responded by tweeting, After giving it my all, you get idiots sending me this. Further abusive messages from the same address followed, suggesting that the sportsman had failed and made a violent threat towards Daly and other Twitter users. As news of his tweets spread, Riley69 attempted to apologize to Daly. He later added, please, I don't want to be hated. I'm just sorry you didn't win, and I was rooting for you to do Britain all proud, just so upset. So, it says, not due to social pressure, the teen apologized and changed his tune. It says, that's how normal human interactions are supposed to take place. But wait a minute here. Put it in a different context. Suppose you, you personally do have an opinion on something and you tweet, right? And someone is offended because you're always going to offend somebody. And then the government comes down on you. That's going to go into a whole bunch of areas, transgender, you name it, whatever, even all these various so-called comedies on TV to do with these topics. And you say something, you're going to be nudged. And if you don't get nudged into apologizing, that's called self-policing in neuroscience, by the way, this particular technique that I'm reading right here. You police yourself. You become your policeman until you'll always think about what you're going to say and you'll always think about the politically correct thing to say. 
That's self-policing. Sunstein talked all about this, of course, too. And he's up there on the board with Obama. So anyway, he says, um, note, due to social pressure that he apologized and so on. That's how normal human interactions are supposed to take place. Why do the guns of governments and fines and jail time need to come into the mix? Well, the reason is, you see, this is only part of a technique, what you're showing here, to get you trained and train yourself into what I just said. Please, yourself. Your behavior is always being modified. Sunstein himself said that um, during self-policing, which they'll teach the public, they'll nudge you to make, into making the correct choice. Understand? The correct choice. By whose definition? By those who rule over you. Understand? That's what it's about. This is, of course, what constitutes menacing offences for indecent speech. It's entirely up to the arbitrary whims of the state. Earlier this year, a 19-year-old UK student, uh, uh, says, repeat, he was arrested for posting an anti-war comment to Facebook. Anti-war comment for offensive speech. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and talking about how you're all manipulated. We're, we're, we're manipulated daily, in fact. I read last week the articles about um, how every quote out of the mouths of the politicians uh, it can be actually retracted or it's before it's even put into print uh, by the advisors. They're all run by these special advisors who are far brighter than the ones that they give you for the clowns they call presidents and prime ministers. They're just petty actors. And... Um, Everything is controlled that you read on mainstream. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. And they said that in the actual article, which was mainstream. Everything is controlled that you read. Now, getting back to this article, talking about how you're nudged into self-police yourself uh, with the technology that's used and these wonderful associations which they create like Twitter, which is classed as private, but obviously it's working along with the NSA. And they have policies, they don't have to go through laws because they're not really responsible to the public for what they do. But they're, they're all PC, politically correct. And as you keep changing things into further political correctness, you're all going to get nudged and get more stories like this until you're terrified to have a normal thought and voice it or opinion on anything. Because you understand what they term liberalism, and, and they're all the same at the top. There's only one big party at the top that runs all sides, and that is the Royal Institute of International Affairs, by the way. Cancer and foreign relations. They run all sides, but they use all the techniques of the far left, the far right, and so on. But liberalism does not does not tolerate anything that's against their, their objectives. Doesn't this most intolerant, intolerant system that's ever been devised? Believe you me. Anyway, getting back to this article, it says here that. Um, the guy who was actually uh, fined again for for being menacing and offensive and so on to do because he was anti-war and he posted a comment. He was he was arrested for it and a comment to Facebook. He says there was little outrage over this or no outrage at all. This student was one of many arrested for offensive speech in the UK. Now you can curse and swear and see all the stuff you've seen on television. That's okay because it degenerates you. It's supposed to do you see, but don't say something that matters. Since so what's funny about laws like these is if it was actually applied efficiently and universally, it would result in the jailing of half or more of the populace. 
They don't have to hate you all. They're training you. Most folk go along with the herd very quickly. They don't even know what's happening to them. They just adapt, you see. We're on our way there in the U.S. with some 800,000 regulations on the books. And, and actually there's more to come, of course, with the new laws that are getting rammed through all the time. Self-policing. And that's where the Internet comes in and, and all the, the, the accessories to do with the Internet. It's a fast, fast way of standardizing the, the society, basically, and what to say in polite company or even in polite company. And they give you lots of stuff to say about that, too, mind you. But that's okay. That's been authorized. Now... I don't know if people remember the movie. It was an old movie. It was called Fortress with uh, Christopher Lambert, I think, wasn't it? And there was three ep- episodes, movies. But the first one, he gets put into this high-tech prison because his wife, going through a checkpoint, by the way, because I always show you this stuff in predictive programming years before, programming before they actually bring it in. But he's going through a checkpoint with his wife over a bridge in our country, and they x-rayed his wife, and she was pregnant, so they'd broken the law, split them up, and he got put into prison as well. And the first thing they did was to put this thing in his mouth, which all the prisoners got, and you swallow it, and it attaches itself to your stomach. And that can, it can cause pain remotely if you're, you're, again, you've been politically incorrect or whatever, uh, and, and various other things. So here's this article here. It's interesting. I will show you it in the science fiction movies first. FDA clears the smart pill by Proteus Digital Health. It's an ingestible sensor, it says. And, and it's from California, July 30th. Uh, Proteus Digital Health announced today that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has cleared its ingestible sensor for marketing as a medical device. The ingestible sensor, formerly referred to as Ingestion Event Marker, or IEM, is part of the Proteus Digital Health Feedback Systems, an integrated end-to-end personal health management system designed to help improve patients' health habits and connections to caregivers. Now, you know darn well that DARPA has been involved in this and have other reasons for having it, but that doesn't matter. This is how they always introduce these ideas to you. The Proteus ingestible sensor can be integrated into an inert pill or other ingested products such as pharmaceuticals. Once the ingestible sensor reaches the stomach, it's powered by contact with stomach fluid and communicates a unique signal that determines identity and timing of ingestion. This information is transferred to the user's body tissues to a patch worn on the skin, I bet they have a remote one anyway, that detects the signal and marks the precise time an ingestible sensor has been taken. Additional uh, physiological and behavioral uh, metrics collected by the patch include heart rate, body position and activity. The patches release information to a mobile phone application with the patient's consent. The information is accessible by caregivers and clinicians, of course, in the government too, helping individuals to develop and sustain healthy habits, families to make better health choices, and clinicians to provide more effective uh, data-driven care. Of course, if that's going back to to help you make better health choices, they'll know every darn thing that you eat, of course, as well. And that will be taken off your austerity card down the road as well. Now, clowns are very popular in today's society because everyone's immature. You've been kept as a child, doesn't matter what age you are. In fact, you've been told, just go do it and have fun. And they show you how to have fun, in fact. They never show you the, the consequences of having fun, but they always tell you to go and have fun. It's like movies. Movies always show you the, the fun parts, but they don't tell you the aftermath of what would really happen, if these really things really happened at all. But we'll talk about clowns and politicians when we get back from this break. 
back in a moment. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt. We're talking about the big system you were born into, you live in. Most folk never catch on to it. It's even controlled. They think they're making their own decisions. They think their opinions are their own. They even get angry about defending their opinions, even though they are given to them. But getting back to clowns and politicians, we've had clowns and politicians for years. And, and when you get to the, the end of an age when they're transferring into a new age, you see, this is a century of change where high sciences are controlling you perfectly. You'll still have the politicians here out as clowns. They even have them in Britain now and come dancing, for God's sake. So these old farts, as they say over there, get on the stage and do these silly little dances and all these kind of like, it's like Because really all they are are little actors, your politicians. But in London, during this um, opening the Olympic Games, this is London Mayor Boris Johnson tipped as a possible future prime minister. Well, he's definitely going to be a prime minister eventually because if you go into his history, it's amazing even his grandfather was in the Young Turks. It was created by the Volunteer of International Affairs who were meant to cross revolutions all over the world, you know. Amazing history behind this character. Anyway, it says, made a striking entry to an Olympic event by a zip wire Wednesday. Came down one of these zip wires, you know, you see in all the movies, only to get stuck dangling over the crowd. So here he was waving a Union Jack flag in each hand. So, see, politicians, are, uh, politics is fun now. That's just what they're trying. Oh, it's just fun. Just like you and I, as they rake in millions of pounds every year and, and rig the deals that they get from all the, the guys who lobby them and stuff like that. Then you pay it, pick up the tab. So it's all fun now. So waving a Union Jack flag in each hand, the colour for Conservative Mayor initially gathered some speed as he flew over Victoria Park in East London, where the games were being shown on giant screens. And then he goes through, is it a bird, is it a plane, etc. But no, it's him wearing a bright blue helmet and a smart business suit. Uh, but he ground to a halt halfway across the 320 metre zip wire, which is also open to the public, and was left hanging awkwardly over the spectators still wielding his flags. And then he got a rope and all that. And he says, I think it's, I think what possibly happened was that they left a break on or something. But anyway, it was wonderful and I thoroughly recommend it. Now, maybe he should get fined for his little comment. They're unthoughtful, you see. Because anybody else trying that out the blue, not, and of course the security guys knew all about him, this big stunt. Anybody else trying it would have been riddled full of holes. And maybe even have a missile round against them if they tried to do that. I can guarantee you. So only the big boys can have that kind of fun. Don't you try that kind of stuff or they'll just kill you. Now, this article here is quite good. It says, Britain abolishes itself. Traditions, uh, working class and aristocratic fade uh, during this particular era with Cameron. Cameron, it doesn't matter about Cameron or who's in charge because they're all interchangeable. 
It says, Outsiders tend to look upon the United Kingdom as a stiff traditional old country whose grey-haired old queen has just celebrated 60 years on the throne and where men in bowler hats will say evening, sir, as they pass you in the street. But this view of the UK as a more faithful creature of history and habit than most other nations is misplaced. In truth, traditional institutions in Britain are in disarray. They're dizzy with confusion, bereft of purpose, they're falling like flies, and the striking thing is that they're being done not by revolution. That's not true. It's all done by revolution. They just don't know it is, or by sentient uh, reform, but by their own moral and physical exhaustion. Traditionalism in Britain is becoming, is committing voluntary euthanasia. See, there's been a war on the public for all this time, and they didn't even know it. So the speed with which long-standing institutions are disappearing is alarming. This time last year, a brick could have opened up the news of the world on a Sunday morning and perused that 160-year-old newspaper's uh, salacious stories about celebrities and its mocking of members of parliament. That had been a tradition amongst less well-off communities in particular for the better part of two centuries. Tucking into the paper after you'd tucked into your Sunday breakfast was a staple of working-class life, it says here. Mind you, it was always propaganda. In 1946, when the paper was already 103 years old, George Orwell described an idyllic homely scene. He says it, it is Sunday afternoon, preferably before the war. The wife was already asleep in the armchair, and the children had been sent out for a nice long walk. You put your feet up on the sofa, settle your spectacles to your nose, and open up the news of the world. Not anymore, you don't. The paper is no more, snuffed out last year by its final proprietor, Rupert Murdoch, in response to a campaign of shrill liberal fury following revelations that some of the paper's hacks had hacked into people's phones. This time last year, you could have used the words husband and wife without a second thought, without having to worry that you might be causing offence to someone somewhere. Indeed, you could have read Orwell's words, the wife is already asleep, and known exactly what he meant. And or her indoors and what he meant. Thank God she's drifted off. Not now, even wives, one half of that most traditional of all institutions, marriage, are disappearing husbands too, linguistically at least, it says here. As part of the drive towards institutionalizing same-sex marriage, which is being spearheaded not by radical gays, but by our posh, foppish, conservative Prime Minister David Cameron. It's not just him. I mean, even Osborne last year, and I read on the air, said that we should release an end to marriage, he says, it's over-finished, there's no reason for it existing anymore, remember? So that was, this is aimed at Cameron, but Cameron's just another frontman with the same agenda, because all of them have been for over a hundred years, just frontmen for the same agenda. Words such as husband and wife and father and mother are being airbrushed from much official government documentation. So well for an immigration forms will shortly be struck clean of any mention of the W word or the H word in favour of more neutral terms such as spouse, partner, because as a Daily Telegraph reports, the government believes that once same-sex marriage is legalised, it would be confusing to refer to husbands and wives. Fathers are already disappearing. At the end of May, the National Health Service, the largest employer in Britain and the fifth largest in the world, took the decision to excise the six-letter F-word from a pamphlet on rearing children that has been given to mothers and fathers-to-be for the past 14 years. So the father word's gone. The pamphlet will no longer refer to fathers following a complaint from one person. This, that's all it takes to airbrush people from history in modern Britain who was concerned that much terminology is not inclusive of people in same-sex relationships. From now on, the pamphlet will refer to mothers and partners. Dads are so 20th century. 
This time last year, one could have said the words, I live in the United Kingdom without flinching. But even that's no longer possible for the very thing that glues England, Wales and Scotland together. The union forged by the Act of Union of 1707 is fraying, following a tense exchange of words over the future of Scotland between Cameron, who leads the government in Westminster, and Alex Salmond, leader of the Scottish Nationalist Party and First Minister in Scotland's regional parliament. There will now be a referendum on Scottish independence in the fall of 2014. Never mind losing a tabloid newspaper or words like husband and father, the UK might soon lose one of its countries, a huge chunk of its territory and its peoples, whose union with England and Wales was the foundation or the founding moment of the United Kingdom. Well, mind you, too, that's part of the EU, which is um, supposed to, like communism, the nations fade away. Remember that the nation states fade away. And apart from that, they're under the EU now, so there's, there's, no, there's no freedom in Scotland anymore there is in Northern Ireland. Same thing happened there. They fought for years, and what did they get? They're under the EU Soviet system. Anyway, it says, the most remarkable thing about this possible splitting of Scotland from the kingdom is it came about not through a war of interdependence or independence pursued by modern-day bravehearts or even through a proper sit-down between Salmond and Cameron to discuss the future of the Union, but rather by a way of a game of, of grouchy one-upmanship between these two leaders. Now, that's nonsense. This was planned years ago. Years ago, the Conservatives might rule in Westminster, but they have largely given up on Scotland because the support there has plummeted to a record low in recent years. They were the largest party in Scotland as recently as 1950s, but today they have just one member of parliament there. As a political observer quipped after Beijing loaded or loaned two pandas to the Edinburgh Zoo earlier this year, there are now more pandas in Scotland than there are Conservative members of parliaments. But of course, too, there's not enough cash to rip out of Scotland anymore. You see, it's been plundered. The people were forced off the land for many, many, many years through poverty. And the rest of them went in the armies to fight wars for the British Empire. But anyway, as, as I say, it's plummeting. Now, you take this and what's happening with the whole of Britain, including England. It says here, an excess of drinks and drugs and death, this is Magaluf, is notorious for binging by British teenagers, but now the results are proving fatal. Now, all these articles, I'll put links up, and you should look at this particular one as well, because that's the standard of teenagers now in Britain. There's so many uh, documentaries out about them being so drunk. That most of the casualties they have all through the weekend, and now it's even through the week, and the British hospitals are British teenagers are drunk, being run over or whatever, or in fights or God knows what. And women too, lots of women. It says, Dawn breaks on another sizzling summer's day in Mallorca. Thousands of British teenagers stumble out of a huge dance club at 4am, spill into a city street full of neon-lit bars, lap-dancing joints and cheap kebab takeaways. A 17-year-old girl in white shorts crashes drunkenly to the ground, legs askew, surrounded by her swaying friends, and a group of boys lurch past, clutching Red Bull and vodka cocktails that they've bought for the equivalent of 25 pence. It says their eyes are glazed and they burble incoherently in Manchester accents. It's been a long night in the Holder Resort of Magaluf and the main strip called Punta Balina still pulsates to the deafening boom-de-boom music that started well before midnight. Anyway, it shows you, you'll see these drunks all over the place in the photographs they give you in this article. You'll see the mess the young people are in, including the women, because uh, they're dressed just like, you wouldn't know if they were hookers or what. I mean, most of them are there for that, by the way. But uh, that's the end products of a, a society that's been destroyed. They didn't know there was a war upon them. Of course, the BBC led it, even in Britain. And um, 
brought all the culture down to the most basic, basic parts, which was, again was part of the Communist Manifesto, destruction of the family unit. And once you're into vast promiscuity, uh, there's no going back because there's no memory of what family really is anymore, you know. They'll, eventually they'll abolish the word family too, unless they say it's the, the cultural nation, national family or something, I don't know. So a war has, has been affected and it's awfully good. Same in America happens when the college students all rush off to the, the beaches. You could pretty well do any, any porno or just, just sitting there just taking all the photographs and so on. Because that's what you have now. And of course they've been taught this off since, since we're in kindergarten. All kinds of sex. As much as possible, just, just don't have children. If you do have children, they still take care of it for you. Don't worry about it. That's what they're taught. They're not taught about the massive fallout to the venereal disease and stuff. You never see that in the movies either, by the way, do you? Strange that, isn't it? It's a must-be, you see, to get everyone completely demolished. And they've done it. So I'll put that up as I say tonight. And you should really look through that, this awful state of affairs. It really is terrible. But that's the end of it, you see. And in Britain too, which is the flagship for the world, remember, Her Majesty's Revenue Collection Agency, that's for Her Majesty, they still have Her Majesty in the democracy democracy of Britain, hands out hundreds of thousands of pounds, cash, to whistleblowers who shop, people who are dodging taxes. They've turned it into a modern Stasi state, you see. This is Stasi. Bounty payments totaling hundreds of thousands of pounds a year being paid by Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs to members of the public who shop as shoppers turn in tax dodgers. Figures published by investigative website Exaro reveal how individuals have been handed the cash for information that leads to the recovery of unpaid tax. Meanwhile, they've got all these big corporations that don't pay taxes for years, including the ones at the top who are all cousins of the Queen. Because they have corporations all over the world as well. People forget that the, the British opium companies are still on the go under different names. It was all members of all family who uh, had shares in it, nobody else. In fact, George Orwell's dad uh, worked for it for years. So the freedom of information request submitted by Xaro showed more than £1 million has been paid out through such payments in the year, years since the recession took hold in 2009. This is a, a one million pounds. It's not a bad for for shopping people. A Telegraph report based on the Xara work claimed three hundred seventy-three thousand seven hundred eighty pounds was paid in the last financial year, and it gives you all the different figures over the years. The sums have been generally rising, with just one hundred fifty-five thousand nine hundred fifty pounds handed out in two thousand seven and eight. Her Majesty's Revenue Collection says that most payments are, are for low amounts, fifty. Pounds or sixty pounds, and are paid out following calls to its tax evasion hotline. Information that leads to higher sums of unpaid tax being recovered can trigger payments running to several thousand pounds. Reports from 2008 claim the HMRC paid one hundred thousand pounds to an individual who provided details of a secret bank account or accounts held by wealthy Britons in Liechtenstein. So they're all at it, of course, but the big boys will never get caught because, after all, they make the agendas for the world. Where to look at and where not to look at, and when it's themselves, you are not going to look. Israel is quite amazing because um, if you, those who have watched different clips in Israel, even to do with the Gaza uh, invasion, when they were, the troops went into Gaza after firebombing them with, with um, uh, magnesium and so on from the air to burn them all to death, 
you saw these ultra-Orthodox rabbis uh, going in with the troops, actually saying, kill them all, kill them all, they're Amalekites. You see, that's the, what they call all Arabs, even though the people living there are probably more Jewish because that's really where, <laughs> where they've been living for thousands of years. And now, and they changed their faith when, when Islam came in. Anyway, it says Israel ultra-Orthodox lose conscription exemption, so now they'll have to go into war as well. So Israel's Defense Minister Ehud Barak has given the country's military one month to prepare to conscript ultra-Orthodox Jewish seminary students after law exempting them expired. In February, the Supreme Court ruled that the Tal law, uh, which allowed them to defer military service, was unconstitutional and that revised law should be drafted by the end of July. However, the main political parties in Parliament failed to reach an agreement. Secular Israelis say the law is unfair. Now that the, the Tal law has expired, conscription is in, is in theory governed by legislation passed in 1949 and last amended in 1986 requires all Israelis above 18 years of age to enlist unless specifically exempted by the defense ministry. That means all, all the wealthy ones, important ones at the top that are in daddies in politics, they'll be exempted. Mr. Brack had instructed the Israel Defense Forces to draw up a practical proposal on how to implement the 1949 law within a month, according to a statement by his office. So it will reflect and take into consideration the ruling of the High Court of Justice, the requirements and values of the IDF, the principle of sharing the burden of national service more equally, and the suitability of individuals for service as is commonly accepted, it says, and so on. So we'll see what happens there, because they won't be too happy about that at all. Now, Italy, that's got been hammered by the big banking boys and the Central Bank for Europe because of, uh, 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 you know, all, all the con. All banking is a con, of course. But it says Italian police raid Barclays over rate fixing. It's about time these countries all got in on the act since they're getting really, really, you know, screwed. And it says Italian police have taken documents from a Barclays office in Milan as part of a probe into possible uh, Uriber, that's the Liber idea, but it's for Uriber, rate manipulation, according to Reuters. said the raid occurred as regulators investigated fixing fears of the Eurozone's equivalent of the scandal-hit London-based Liber interbank lending rates. The search was ordered by prosecutors in the southern city of Trani, who have opened a criminal probe into the possible manipulation of the Euro-Liber Euro rate, it says. Well, good for them. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and what a matrix it is, isn't it? And another one on Twitter is to do with Twitter prompting the NBC to request ban of journalists who is critical of Olympics coverage. See how they're all policing it now? Twitter had suspended the account of a journalist for posting the email address of an NBC exec in a series of tweets critical of the network's coverage of the 2012 London Olympic Games. Now it's been revealed that Twitter itself took the initiative in alerting the NBC of the hostile tweets, suggesting they file a report and detailing the process for doing so. So, as is Guy Adams, a reporter with the UK-based The Independent, called the NBC utter, utter bar stewards. You know, you get these stewards that work in bars. Accused him of money-grabbing and posted the email address of a top NBC executive. 
It was sharing uh, that email address that supposedly ran afoul of Twitter's vague rules, despite the fact that the email is publicly available elsewhere. According to NBC, they weren't actively monitoring Twitter for critical tweets. In fact, it was actually Twitter who alerted the NBC, so they're policing it for sure. And that's pretty well done, isn't it? Also in the States, you find that um, it says Democrats in the Senate opened debate on cybersecurity legislation Tuesday with criticism of the steadfast opposition of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to a bill setting voluntary standards for cybersecurity amongst private companies. And a lot in the bill. I'll put this article up tonight as well because, uh, of course, it's all to do with, it's not to do with companies. It's to do with all of you listening and the ones who use it. That's what it's all about. We, we know that too. And this other article says the war on terror has changed and not one in 1,000 Americans has noticed. This is in George Orwell's novel, 1984, The Country of Oceania had been in a war against Eurasia for years. Oceania suddenly switches sides, naming East Asia as its enemy and making its mortal enemy Eurasia its new ally. The government uses propaganda to convince people that we've always been at war with East Asia. The dumbed-down public doesn't, don't even notice that they've switched sides and blindly rallies around Eurasia as its perennial friend and ally. The same thing's happening in real life with Al-Qaeda. Western governments and mainstream media have admitted that Al-Qaeda is fighting against the secular Syrian government and that the West is supporting the Syrian opposition, which is helping Al-Qaeda. Similarly, the opposition which overthrew Libya Gaddafi was mainly Al-Qaeda and now appear to be in control of Libya. They are instrumental in fighting Syria. The U.S. also funds terrorist groups within Iran. Of course, Al-Qaeda was blamed for 9-11, and the entire decades-long war on terror was premised on rooting out Al-Qaeda and related groups. So the fact that we now consider Al-Qaeda fighters to be allies in any way, shape, or form is positively Orwellian. And it was, it's got all the links to the things I've just mentioned here, too, from other articles to back it all up. Remember, Jimmy Carter's National Security Advisor admitted CNN, we organized and supported bin Laden and the other originators of Al-Qaeda in the 1970s, and the link is here to prove it, to fight the Soviets. He also told the Senate in 2007 that the war on terror is a mythical historical narrative. As Professor of Strategy at the Naval War College and former National Security Agency Intelligence Analysis and Counterintelligence Officer John R. Schindler documents, the U.S. supported bin Laden and other al-Qaeda terrorists in Bosnia. But obviously we lost control and they turned against us, and then it took us years to hunt down and kill bin Laden, right? But then they go into the facts that they actually let bin go. Bin Laden moved out of Afghanistan long ago, and they tracked him all the way. France did, so did the U.S., and all the links are here to back it up. You see, you live in a fiction, a fiction, very clever, scientifically controlled, mind you, and you believe what you're told. Mind you, you're having lots of fun. Lots and lots of fun. Isn't that what it's all about? From Hamish from Seattle, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>